There we go. <laughs> Wasn't a very smooth transition. That was Yasiel Puig's home run tonight to put the Dodgers up 5-1, to one, and they won the National League yet again. Second year in a row they're going to the World Series. Hopefully this year they'll get a better result in the World Series than last year. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is October 20th, 2018. Right now the time, 9.30 Pacific Time. Approximately 9.30 Pacific Time. And as you probably know, if you listened to the last show, if you've been following the updates on Twitter and on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum, I've had some health problems. I had to stop doing this show. This show is no longer a once-a-week affair. This show is not probably ever going to be a four-to-eight-hour show ever again. Some things have changed. I don't know why, but some things have changed. But I don't want this to stop me from doing this show. So I've decided that uh, when I feel okay enough to do this show, that I'm going to do it. And if, if it can't be as long as it used to, then fine. But at least I can do the show. At least we can still have uh, some of poker fraud alert radio rather than no poker fraud alert radio i I can't promise a regular schedule i can't promise that uh, something about my health won't change for the worse or something might be discovered that will be worse and then we'll have to stop but at the moment i feel that i can do this i don't know how regularly but I, i feel i can do this sometimes so here we are tonight october 20th I'll try to do this more often than I have been. I think the last show was on September 29th, and you know we're coming up on well, like more than three weeks since the last one. So I want to try to do it more often than that. And I, I'm going to try to target the show length about 90 minutes, which means we'll have to have a lot shorter agenda. But that, that's what I'm going to shoot for. Maybe I can even do it once a week at some point if I, I think that's working out. In case you're wondering, last time I did the show, I actually did not have any kind of after effect. I was actually okay. But oddly enough, sometimes I'll, I'll like be on the phone for half an hour and my throat will really hurt afterwards. So I just kind of, I got to see how this goes. I can't let this uh, show physically hurt me or physically uh, uh, cause problems in my recovery from this. But uh, at the same time, if this is going to be a chronic condition that never goes away, I don't want to give up radio forever. So here I am. Tonight we're going to have Trader Ruski on. Last time we had no co-host. Tonight we're going to have Trader Ruski on. I also invited Brandon, who uh, did not respond. I don't know where he is. And I invited Calwat, who's probably sleeping. But maybe he'll wake up. Now, the problem with Calwat waking up is he won't even know the show is going unless he checks his phone. So sometimes he wakes up on a night. He knows radio is going to be. And then he'll turn it on and listen and then call in, but I don't know if that'll happen tonight. I don't know if they'll even wake up in the middle. So let's uh, let's put on Trader Ruski, and uh, and then we'll get going with this show. And for those of you that uh, didn't enjoy last time's uh, long segment about my health, 
You'll be glad to know that's not going to be a major part of this show. Last time I, I had to address it uh, in long form, so you guys all understood. Uh, this time, since not that much has changed, I'm not going to go into it a whole lot. So, uh, where's Trader Ruski here? Come on, I'm, not, I'm not seeing him in the Skype list. That's really weird. Let's see if I can add him a different way. I don't... It's so strange. Well, here he is. I found him a different way. I'll try to put him on. Skype's actually going to change. Well, it already has changed. But it's going to kick me off this version sometime in November. Yeah, hey, hey, Trader Risky. So they're going to kick me off this Skype. They're kick me and everybody else using this Skype off of the system in sometime in November. I'm forgetting when. And then they'll force you into their awful, awful, awful new version, which lacks features. I don't know why they're doing this, but uh, that may actually be the end of me using Skype for this show, because it may actually not just not work at all anymore. So we'll have to see when that occurs. That's another stupid thing I have to contend with, you know, aside from my health. So anyway, Trader Ruski, happy to have you here. It's always nice to have a partner doing this show, especially uh, when my throat hurts. So thank you for joining us. Nice to be back on. Happy to hear that the Dodgers might be part of the cure of uh, what's going on. Uh, maybe. You know, uh, I'll admit today I woke up and I didn't feel good. Today I woke up, my throat was extreme. Everything was totally dry. My, my mouth was super dry. My throat was dry. I even wondered if I was getting sick. And uh, throughout the day, my throat kind of still hurt. And uh, I, I kind of felt weird. And I thought... Well, I probably can't do radio under these circumstances. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to take a caffeine pill and watch the Dodgers. And, and somehow the, the combination of caffeine and the Dodgers winning uh, put me in good enough shape to do this show tonight. So that was nice. I, I went to a Dodgers game uh, for – actually, I went to two Dodgers games, one against the Braves in the division series and, and one this past week against the Brewers – for the championship series, and they won both. They, they always win if I go to a playoff game. It's amazing. I, I don't think in the 2010s they've lost a single playoff game that I've been to. And I think we're talking about like, like more than 10 games. They've won every single time. So they, they should start paying me to attend their games. They should fly me to road games. They'll just sweep every one. They, they just never lose. And um, I went with the, the, the one I went to the championship series this past week. They had a horrendous parking situation, which I, I won't bother to give you all the details, but uh, I got into the stadium a little bit late, or I got into the parking lot a little bit late, but I was only going to miss like 15 minutes of the game. Well, thanks to a parking fiasco that was completely mismanaged by them, I ended up uh, 50 minutes late, 5-0, and I was very frustrated going, oh, this is crappy, I, you know, this championship series playoff game and i'm going to miss a third of it and i'd already missed a run being scored and it was really really frustrating and i thought wow you know all this effort and you know to come here and all that and, and you know here i'm only going to see two-thirds of the game well that wasn't true the game went 13 innings <laughs> so i definitely got my money's worth the, the the game itself was five hours 15 minutes of which i missed like the first 50 so i still saw a lot longer than a regular game even though i missed close to an hour and I got to see an exciting walk-off win. So that was nice. And I actually got a pretty good deal on the ticket, too. So can't complain about that. So Dodgers in the World Series. We'll talk about that towards the end of the show. 
I always try to put that stuff at the end because I know not everybody here is a baseball fan. In fact, a lot of people here who listen to the show are not American and don't care about American sports. So I'll try to talk about stuff you guys do care about tonight. Reactions to the last show, some people were doubting that I really am having much of a problem physically and emotionally and all that because I sounded normal on the last broadcast at the end of September. People listened to me and said, hey, you sound the same way you always do. So if, if you sound this good, then then how could you be sick? How could you have these uh, these problems which you say are so bad? How, how can you have these uh, anxiety issues that you say are so bad? Well, sounds can be deceiving. Uh, I never claimed that I can't function at all. I, I can still do a lot of things. As long as my throat isn't hurting, I can even do the show. If it wasn't voice and throat related, then I'd be doing the show every week, even if I were a lot sicker than I am right now. But unfortunately, of all things, it has to be voice and throat related. <laughs> that's that's running pretty bad when you enjoy doing a show like this, and of all things to come down with, it has to be something voice and throat related. But... Uh, it, it, it believe me, it's a lot worse than it sounds from the way I appear on this broadcast. Sometimes uh, appearances and sounds can be very deceiving. So I'll just tell you that I, I wouldn't be making this up. I believe me, I wouldn't be barely doing this show if, if this was no big deal because I miss this show. Trust me that everything I'm saying is true. I'm, I'm not being a hypochondriac. I'm not uh, imagining things that aren't there. Th- this is the most challenging health-related situation I've ever dealt with by a wide margin. It's not comparable to people who have cancer or, or some other serious life-threatening disease. I'll, I'll admit that. But uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not having a hard time. So I'm going to give a small update on what's going on with that. Uh, Here's the rest of the agenda. There's no free roll tonight. We were going to have a free roll, but then I found that the poker room's down, which which is strange because it it was down, and then Belly Buster reported that he fixed it. First he said it was going to be down for a long time, and I thought we may be without it for months. But then he said he got it back up. But I tried it tonight, and it's down, so there's no free roll. There was going to be, but there's not one now, and uh, hopefully Belly Buster will fix that. He may have taken it down just thinking that when you we're not running the show anymore. I, I don't know. But I let him know I'm going to run the show sometime so to leave it up. So hopefully that can be done. If you want to call in tonight, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is what that translates to numerically. There's, of course, the Mount Charleston line. That still exists. It's an old 70s rotary phone. It sits on top of Mount Charleston, which will get snow in not too long. It forwards to me wherever I go. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. People ask me, is this really a phone on top of Mount Charleston? And I say, yes, look it up. Look it up. You will see 702-430-1808 is a Mount Charleston number. Mount Charleston, Nevada. You can text me anytime at the same phone number as the main number to the show, 775-372-8355. You can text me before, after, or during the show and I will respond to you 
Probably. Can't promise it, but I'll probably respond to you. And I will read your text on the air, unless you ask me not to in the beginning of the text. Unless it's clearly like a personal text, then I wouldn't do that. I try to use common sense, but I I make no promises. Unless you say at the very beginning, do not read on air, I might read it on air. That's my disclaimer here. The call to listen line. It may have changed numbers, but it still exists and it still works. It's now located in South Dakota. That phone number is 605-313-0736. It moved from Carroll, Iowa to South Dakota. 605-313-0736 is the number to the call to listen line. So you just call it and listen. It does not require a data plan, a smartphone, a computer, the internet. None of these things are required. You, you could go over to your grandma's house and all she's got is some old rotary phone that looks like the Mount Charleston line. And you'll say, oh, crap. Hey, grandma, do you have internet here? What? Enter what? And you'll go, oh, crap. And you know, how, how can I listen to the show? Yes, you can. You just pick up grandma's phone and dial 605-313-0736 and you can listen to the show live. Or if we're not live, you can call that number and listen to one of our random streaming reruns where the computer just picks a random show from the past and runs it as if it's live. 605-313-0736, the call to listen line. Coming up on a million minutes have been listened to on it. Think about that. Close to a million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line. It's gotten a lot of exercise, and I'm happy about that. I I love when I see it's being used. If you have a Flash-enabled device, you can go into the chat room. You need a forum account on PokerFraudAlert.com, and it needs to be in good standing, needs to be validated. Just click on the chat button during the live show only, otherwise there will be nobody in there. And you can chat with other listeners to the show. I don't check the chat room that often because I'm doing other things, but it's there. There's people in there. And let's see. I'm taking a look at it right now. Saw24 saying, uh, congratulations, Druff, on the Dodges. Hitchiro Dodges, D-O-D-G-A-S. Snow Track says, yes, Druff sounds a lot better. I'm not, but uh, I'm glad I sound that way. Uh, Snow Track says, three hours of talking, then five hours of Morse code. <laughs> Someone suggested that I should do the show with a voice synthesizer. I couldn't picture doing that. That would just sound weird. Okay, let's see here. Uh, oh. PLOL, who is kind of a active member on and off of Poker Fraud Alert. He's like really active for a while and then just disappears for a while. So he's kind of in his uh, disappearing stage recently. I don't know why. But he's actually a, uh, a chip leader right now in uh, a World Series of Poker Circuit event. So good luck to him. Even though he's disappeared from Poker Fraud Alert again. I've met him in person. Uh, he even bought uh, a meal for me. Uh, there was an assumption by the waiter that I would pay for the meal because I'm the older one. I'm about 20 years older than he is. And then uh, he paid. And uh, I don't know. I, I kind of got the idea that the waiter thought that uh, maybe this was a gay thing. I was the older man and he was the uh, 
he was the younger guy I was taking to dinner. And it is true, he is gay. So the, the waiter wasn't too far off. It just, yeah, he missed the other piece of that. And P.L. he told me he only likes younger guys. Too. He doesn't like guys my age. So he, he wouldn't have been into me anyway, even if I were gay. But I did. I, at, at about midnight, I was there in Vegas with my family. And at midnight, I, I literally snuck out of the hotel room while my girlfriend and son were sleeping and met a gay guy. It's true. I really did. I met a young gay guy at midnight in Vegas while my girlfriend and my son were sleeping. That really happened. And one day someone's going to play this to embarrass me. And I'm going to have a hard time explaining it. But what can I say? It's true. That really happened. All right, here's the agenda tonight. Tony, the owner of Five Dimes. His real name isn't Tony, but that's what everyone knew him as. The Five Dimes Sportsbook. Very, very large online sportsbook. has been around for a while. Uh, has kind of a mixed reputation, kind of uh, mostly good for trustworthiness, but very bad for customer service, especially Tony himself. Well, if you've had an issue with Tony, uh, I, I guess I have good news for you. You're not going to have issues with him anymore, and uh, Tony's never going to bother you again. Uh, Tony has been murdered. Yeah, like that. He's been kidnapped, held for ransom, and murdered. An incredible story that you would think would be out of a movie, but in reality has occurred in Costa Rica, and the victim is the one known as Tony. I do have his real name, which I'll give you when we do the segment. He was kidnapped, held for ransom, and killed. Very, very disturbing story. That'll be our lead story tonight. Bobby Baldwin. Long-time figure in the poker world is going to leave MGM. But why? There are rumors that he was forced out. There are additional rumors that it had to do with sexual harassment allegations. Kind of similar to what forced Steve Wynn out from his own properties. Uh, Bobby Baldwin had a pretty high position at MGM and he was the one in charge of the Bellagio and Aria poker rooms. And I mean at a high level. He wasn't like a, a floor man or a manager. I mean, he was in charge of them at a high level. He's had a fairly high position there for quite some time. So we'll talk about why Bobby Baldwin is leaving. We don't know for sure, but we can speculate, as we always do here. Since we're talking about death and mysterious circumstances and gambling, let's talk about it again. A key witness in a casino fraud case was found dead from what was described as an accidental fall. Yeah. So talk about what happened there and whether it is likely that he was murdered or, for once, someone who's a key witness in a criminal case actually did die from an accident. We'll talk about that. Here's something that wasn't an accident for sure. William Kasuf, who we've had on this show before, is accused, and I believe he has mostly admitted to, palming roulette chips. Basically stealing chips from a roulette table that belonged to other people. And that after this occurred, he lost his sponsorship. So we will talk about the very odd William Kasuf situation. Caesars might buy the Golden Nugget. The Golden Nugget has five properties, one of which is in downtown Las Vegas. We'll talk about uh, 
what might be happening there. Finally, talk about the Dodgers. Can they win the World Series, even though they're going to be underdogs against the Boston Red Sox? Those are our topics tonight. If the agenda seems short, that's because it is. Because uh, I don't want to do the show too long and cause damage to my throat, which already has plenty of damage as it is. So here's my health update. There were a few things that were concerning me and that were troublesome to me. I have something called LPR, which you can Google. It's uh, It stands for laryngopharyngeal reflux. But it's different than you might think. It's not the same as heartburn. It's associated with heartburn, but you can have LPR without heartburn. And you don't feel it when it's happening. Unlike heartburn, where you feel it coming up, this this is something that happens without your knowledge, and you feel the after effects from it, which can be very frustrating, and in some cases, debilitating. It showed up for me uh, in mid, mid-August, like I think around August 17th, August 16th, 17th, something like that. I did a show on August 15th here. I didn't have it yet, which is interesting, but very shortly after that I had it. And it's very poorly understood by the medical community. It is very hard to treat, very hard to even fully understand why it happens to each person. And to make things even worse, it seems like each person gets it for a different reason. So it's not something very simple to just say, oh, well, this made it happen, treat this, then it's all better. It's not like that. It's very difficult to treat. I believe many doctors are treating it incorrectly. And it's not just I believe. There's there's no agreement in the medical community how to properly treat it. There's a lot of controversy about the current treatment methods of it. It's a, it's a disaster. It's, it's something you don't want to get because it's something that modern medicine has not solved. Modern medicine has solved a lot of things. They, they have not even partially solved this. They, they, they're very confused by it. There are people who've had this for a very long time. I mean, 20 years, more. This is something I may have for life. So... Uh, This is something that just showed up abruptly. There were a few signs I had beforehand that it was kind of coming, but I didn't really notice them because it wasn't anything that bad. But it went from just very, very, very minor and background to where it didn't really matter to very bad within a day. Why? I don't know. I just described that last time. So then five days afterwards, I came down with anxiety, very, very severe anxiety. Um gave me a lot of problems, as you might imagine, if you've ever suffered from anxiety or have known anyone who suffered from anxiety. It's uh, not what you might think it is if you've never had it before. It's not just you worrying about things. It's it's much worse than that. It's something that's very hard for you, for you to consciously overrule. I never had that before in my life, but here it is. And I, I couldn't go to sleep without repeatedly feeling like I was choking whenever I'd lie down. And that was the most torturous part. I'm really tired. I want to go to sleep. I lie down to go to sleep. I feel like I'm choking. I've got to stand up. Picture that over and over and over again, that every time you try to sleep, you feel like you're choking. What do you do? <laughs> Think about it. What do, you do? what do you do if you want to go to sleep, you try to lie down, you feel like you're choking? What do you, what, you, you sleep standing up like a horse? Like, what, what do you do? 
So here's where I currently stand. I have gotten the anxiety somewhat under control, though it's still there. Uh, It's nowhere near as bad as it was in late August and early September. I've actually found, kind of accidentally, that, and I I can't say this is for sure, but I've been taking Xanax about once a week because uh, whenever I have a tough medical test to do or dental work to do, uh, I take Xanax because uh, I need to for the anxiety so I can get through these things. Especially because with LPR, at least my form of LPR, uh, whenever I lie down flat or close to flat, uh, I get that choking sensation. So, as you can imagine, it's pretty hard to get dental work done or or any kind of medical test where you have to lie flat, which is a lot of them, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, I, I take Xanax to help prevent at least the anxiety part of it from creating a problem. So what I found the last two times I took Xanax at low dose, only 0.25 milligrams, that in the subsequent days, while I don't feel the same relief and uh, feeling that Xanax gives me for the first few hours, I do feel less anxiety. Almost like there's some sort of after effect to it where there's less anxiety for a while. So, I'm wondering if perhaps this could be a partial solution. I'm, I'm, I have a psychiatrist I've been going to ever since this started. That's how I got the Xanax. Uh, and I'm going to ask him about it. when I, I think I have an appointment next week. But I'm going to ask him, is it safe to do a low dose of Xanax once a week if I really stick to just doing it once a week? And really stick to this low dose? Which a lot of people can't do. There is one good thing about me here that is different from a lot of people, and that is I do not and never have craved substances to make myself feel good. I don't crave highs. I never have. That's why I don't drink. That's why I don't do recreational drugs. I just have never found any appeal in doing so. It's not even like, oh, you know, this is bad. I shouldn't do it. I just just don't have, it's no appeal to me. I've never felt like I wanted to do it or get that sort of feeling, okay? So fortunately, that personality type and that kind of brain makeup that makes me who I am actually makes me among the least likely of people to become addicted to Xanax. However, if I were to do Xanax every day, I would still get addicted to it because there would be a physical addiction component to it. But as far as mental, emotional addiction to it, psychological addiction, I'm pretty unlikely to get that. And sure enough, when I take Xanax, I, I never think the next day, oh, I want to do this again. I never think that. So I'm going to ask the psychiatrist, say, hey, if, if this will somewhat bring down the anxiety problem, just once a week, 0.25 milligrams, can I do this long-term without this really affecting my health very much? I'll see what he says. From what I've read on the internet, which, of course, the internet you can't always believe, but from what I read on the internet, it's something, it seems like it's safe to do, as long as you really stick to that, which I would. So hopefully that, now Xanax, you do, your body does become, 
habituated to it quickly. So it's possible that uh, whatever effect I'm getting from it, even you know the kind of you know, several day effect I get, maybe that's going to go away. Maybe this won't be an answer, but maybe it will be. Maybe maybe it will be, bring it down enough. I, I've I've come to the belief that both the anxiety and the LPR, especially the LPR, may be tough to get rid of 100%. That I may never be back to the person I was back in July and prior to that. But if I can at least bring them 80% down, 80% better, I can just deal with the other 20%, even if I have it the rest of my life. That's, that's what I've decided. And, and hopefully that can occur. The LPR, I'm actually, th- through various methods, and, and also I think just from getting used to it, I, I'm now able to fall asleep much more easily. I don't have the six hours sitting in bed trying to fall asleep. One, one night it even took eight hours to fall asleep. I'm not even kidding. Uh, now I don't have the choking sensation very much. You know, it helps that my bed is propped up at like an eight-inch slope. I'm like sleeping on a downhill slope. But between that and propping up pillows and the dry mouth rinse I use before bed, and I think just being used to the sensation that's in my throat, I think all of that combined, now I don't have many choking episodes, and I some nights I don't have them at all, and I can go to sleep. So uh, that's an improvement. I have not tried to go to a hotel yet. Uh, I, I bought a, a wedge that I can use that I can actually put under the sheets of the bed. It's like a wedge I can bring. And I'm going to try that out maybe in Las Vegas, see how I can sleep there. Because I can't raise the hotel bed. It's bolted to the ground. So challenges like that. Uh, right now, I don't know if I could fly on an airplane because of the anxiety situation. So I'm going to have to try to uh, eventually do that. Try first an hour flight somewhere like Vegas or San Francisco, then try a, maybe a two and a half hour flight somewhere. If that goes okay, try to fly to New York or something, see if that works out. Flying somewhere that I can't get back from in ways not flying kind of scares me because... Uh, you know, let's say I flew to New York and it didn't go well. And it went really, really bad. And I felt like I couldn't get on the plane going back. I, I, at worst, I could take a train all the way back or something. I mean, it would, I, I wouldn't enjoy it, but I could do it. It would take several days, but at least I could do it. If, I, if I'm somewhere across the ocean, then I couldn't. Unless I want to take a boat that would take weeks. So these are all things I have to slowly get back into doing. And and what I've been doing, what, what I've been, my approach has been recently is I'm trying to bring back things into my life that I stopped because of these problems. I went to Commerce, for example, after the Dodgers game last time and played a 6120 session there. So I'm, I'm trying to do things again, even if I don't feel perfect. I have a... Uh, big appointment coming up on Wednesday at a ear, nose, and throat doctor who specializes in voices. And I'm probably going to have something called a video stroboscopy where 
they put this tube down your nose and uh, or up your nose, I guess, and it goes down your throat and it takes a video of the way uh, everything moves and the way everything looks when you're talking. And then they try to determine from that why you're having the problems you're having. So it's going to be an unpleasant test. But uh, take the Xanax, try to get through it. Hopefully it will reveal something, and hopefully whatever it reveals will not be anything too bad. (laughs) Hopefully it will reveal something relatively minor. And I'm still trying some different uh, treatments (coughs) that have been suggested both by people who also suffer from this or uh, in medical papers that I've read. Taking something called Gaviscon Advance, which I take after I eat and uh, creates like a foam barrier in my stomach to prevent gases from rising up and irritating my throat. But it takes a long time to know if that's working or not. So some natural supplements that are said to help, which I'm going to start soon. So I'm going to see what I can do. Depends what the cause is. This is one of these things where the same symptoms have a lot of different causes. And until you figure out what the right cause is, then you might be treating it wrong. So we'll see. That's where I stand. The short answer is I'm better than I was, a lot better than I was in late August and early September. But I, I have a long way to get all the way better. And the anxiety part has improved more than the LPR part. And furthermore, I have one other outside concern about something that could possibly be more major, and I took a CT scan on uh, on Thursday. And that one, it revealed some things that I'll have to do further tests to see. So that's the, that's the other thing kind of bothersome. Or shall I say worrying at the moment. Hopefully it'll all be okay. Hopefully one day in the not-too-distant future I can look back at this and say it was a bad time, but I'm mostly past it. All right, so I want to talk about someone who definitely isn't mostly past what he went through. He never will be because he's not alive anymore. Talking about uh, Tony from Five Dimes. Five Dimes is, it's still running. You can go to fivedimes.eu if you want to see it. It's an online sports book. It's a very large one. It has a pretty good reputation. When I say pretty good, I mean that if you play on Five Dimes and you win and you cash out, they, they generally pay you and pay you fairly quickly. So that's that's the good thing about Five Dimes. They also have uh, some reduced juice lines where you, they have a smaller house edge, so you can bet on those as long as you're not betting too big. And uh, yeah, so there's things like that that it's nice to have a Five Dimes account if you're a sports better. I resisted getting a Five Dimes account for quite some time because of the owner named Tony. I heard about Tony, and I didn't like what I heard. Basically, Tony was an asshole. Tony was very, very stubborn and very, very paranoid that gamblers on his site were trying to screw him. Now, sometimes he was right. 
Like, for example, sometimes five dimes would have some kind of glitch or mistake where something would be listed up there. I, I see a phone call coming in. Um, the person who's calling, just I'll, I'll, I'll tell you when you can call and you can call it that. I think I know who it is. And he, I, you can join this conversation. But I want to introduce this here. So... The pro- sometimes people would take advantage of glitches on there where like a game would be posted that already was completed and people would bet on it already knowing the results. Or there'd be some kind of outrageously set line where it's obvious it's a mistake and people would bet on it. And Tony was really, really pissed when this would happen. He'd feel like people are cheating him. He'd feel like people are taking advantage of him. So not only wouldn't he honor those bets, but he would close people's accounts and sometimes even confiscate their money when they would try to pull things like this, which, of course, uh, got a lot of people angry. What also got people angry was the fact that Tony would sometimes just decide he was in the right about something, even when he wasn't. And then he would take a very, very hard-line stance, be very, very obnoxious, curse at you on the phone, actually, you know, tell you your mother's a whore, just like awful things he'd say to you. Very, very unprofessional. This didn't happen to me personally, by the way, but there's, there's plenty of stories out there like this. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, a person named Duped Samaritan on our site told a story recently about Tony where Duped Samaritan requested a cash out for money that he rightfully won in Bitcoin, and the Bitcoin never came. So he said, hey, where's my Bitcoin? And they kept insisting we sent it. And he was trying to explain to them that the blockchain for Bitcoin, that you can actually look up and see <coughs> if there's any money being sent to you. It's on its way. And he said, look, I can look at my address here and I can see there's nothing on its way to me. Nothing was ever sent. This transaction you're talking about does not exist. And, and it was like talking to a wall. They just uh, they wouldn't accept that. and kept saying, no, we paid you. No, we paid you. Well, eventually he spoke to Tony who was very, very gruff, very, very nasty, and basically accused him of trying to get double paid. Tony was saying that uh, Dupe Samaritan already got his Bitcoin, is trying to get them to pay him a second time, and uh, used obscenities on to him on the phone, You know, said shit about his mother. I mean, it was just, just really, really nasty stuff. And then Tony also said, uh, I'm kicking you off my site. You're banned from the site, and uh, the remainder of his balance, he also wasn't going to get either. So basically, Tony, Tony's attitude was, you're trying to roll me, you're trying to get double paid, so not only am I not sending, resending this, but I'm, I'm closing your whole account, you're banned, you're never getting your money, F you. Because you're a thief, F you, you're getting nothing now. And Dupe Samara didn't do, didn't do anything wrong. He really didn't get the Bitcoin, and he could prove, using the blockchain, that nothing was ever sent to him. But they weren't interested, Tony was not interested. So Dupe Samaritan was trying to figure out, okay, what do I do about this now? Because these aren't regulated. You think he's going to have to create a stink on the internet. And of all things, a few days later, suddenly they sent him the Bitcoin in a new transaction. So it wasn't like they had sent it a long time ago and it happened to arrive there. They, they, they actually sent a new transaction, meaning they realized that he was right the whole way, and sent it to him. And... Then he called up and said, hey, am I banned here? And they said no. So they unbanned him. They sent him the money. He still had a balance on there. And and then he cashed out the rest. And that cash out went fine and he quit the site. 
So a happy ending, Dupe Samaritan got all his money. And But that was classic Tony. Tony decided he was right. He wasn't interested in looking at the evidence saying otherwise. It was really nasty, really insulting, really obscene. Was prepared to confiscate this guy's money. And then at some point, Tony realized that he was wrong. And then he paid up. Tony could have just screwed him and paid nothing, but Tony did pay up at that point and opened the account again. Never apologized. Never said, hey, you were right, but uh, did ultimately pay him. So that pretty much is a great story to illustrate what Tony was like. He wasn't trying to steal from you. He wasn't trying to screw you or scam you. But if he thought, even incorrectly, that you were scamming or screwing him, again, even if it was false, falsely accused, he was happy to close your account and take your money as punishment to you and be a real dickhead about it. So a lot of people hated him, as you might guess. I think some of the people who hated him were ones who tried to angle shoot and failed, and then Tony punished them in some way, and they're bitter about that, and you know, they have some fault in that too. But others were like Dupe Samaritan, who did nothing wrong and, and just uh, ran into Tony being a, a complete dick and not listening to him about it. So uh, a lot of neg- negative thoughts about Tony are out there in the gambling world. Well, Tony's real name is not Tony or Anthony or anything like that. Uh, Tony's actual name is William Sean Creighton. And uh, he's 43 years old, or shall I say he was 43 years old. On September 24th, at about 10 p.m., he was leaving work. And then he never showed up home. Never returned home. He left work and disappeared. His wife reported him missing the following day. His wife is a Costa Rican woman. And they've been married for a while and they have a kid together. So on September 25th, his wife reported him missing. The Costa Rican police started to investigate the case as a possible kidnapping for ransom. Which is kind of strange without them knowing that yet. But that's that's what they did. Uh, There's an organization, a law enforcement organization in Costa Rica called the OIJ, which stands for Organismo de Investigación, which basically means the uh, the Judicial Investigation Department. It's, it's like the FBI in Costa Rica. So we're going to be talking a lot about the OIJ in this story. So the OIJ uh, at that point reported that nobody had received any request to pay a ransom. Now, it turned out what happened was that uh, Tony, a.k.a. William Sean Creighton, was was driving his car, which is a Porsche Cayenne Turbo, and he was by himself. There were no bodyguards, which is probably a mistake. He was just by himself. And uh, he was forced off the road. It's not clear how, but uh, he was forced off the road, and he he slammed into a gate. Not at very high speed, it appears, but he slammed into a a gate of some private property. It seems like... uh, 
some motorcycles and some cars, you know, all showed up at the same time and basically forced him off the road. And then those who forced him off the road immediately approached his vehicle with guns and told him to get out and abducted him. This was in a city called uh, Guapiles, which is, I guess, like a suburb of uh, San Jose over there in Costa Rica. Supposedly he was abducted by two men on a motorcycle and two in a BMW and then taken via taxi to another location. I'm not sure how that's known, but that's what supposedly happened. Uh, by the way, we're going by a lot of reports that were made you know, to Costa Rican media, so take that for what you will. But you know, some things are assumption and some things are fact. So his wife received a ransom phone call. I guess it was the same night. I guess it was on the night of the 24th. And they asked for $750,000 in ransom to be paid in Bitcoin. Now, some reports over this matter claim that uh, it wasn't 750000 that was being asked for, but that they were asking for... One million dollars. But it was something in that range. 750000 to a million was requested. 750000 to a million was requested, or demanded, shall I say. They did put Tony on the phone to say, hey, I'm okay, pay these people. And that, that's usually what's done in ransom situations, so they know the person that they're paying ransom to get back is not already dead. So Tony was alive when this demand was made. So his wife actually did pay. I I, I think the way it was done, I'm not sure why, was that they sent uh, $750,000 to a Cuban bank, which then converted it to Bitcoin and, and sent it to the kidnappers. I don't know why a Cuban bank had to be involved, but maybe... maybe I, I thought they would have had 750k in Bitcoin, given that it's a sports book that operates in Bitcoin. But that's the way it was apparently done, where 750k was sent to a Cuban bank, which then converted it to Bitcoin and, and sent it to the kidnappers. So the, the family was expecting that they're going to get Tony back and they'd be 750k lighter. But that's not what happened. After that, no more contact. The kidnappers did not contact them again, and Tony did not return. So, as time passed, the concern started to arise that maybe they just killed Tony after receiving the money. There was also a fear that Perhaps this whole thing was orchestrated by someone who Tony knew. And that Tony would have known or discovered or suspected this had they let him go. Maybe he saw the kidnappers' faces. Whatever it was, it's it's likely that the kidnappers decided that they got their money. And that leaving him alive would increase the chance that they would be caught. So as time passed from when... The ransom was paid, and then nothing further was heard, and Tony did not reappear. 
the fear was that they just killed him and dumped his body somewhere. Well, today, today closure has been attained. Indeed, Tony's body was found in San Jose. And he was murdered. So, no more Tony. He's gone. Uh, five Dimes, you may wonder, is it still up? Yes. Five Dimes is actually still up. And apparently is still going to run. In fact, I, I made a bet on there tonight and lost. So, I guess I, I, guess I, I contributed to uh, Tony's funeral fund. But uh, they claim it's still going to run. They actually made a statement. The statement, was, it's a short statement, but this is what they said. This is before he was found dead, by the way. This is like three days ago. Despite recent news, Five Dimes Group, board of directors, and its over 300 employees would like to assure its clientele the fundamentals of Five Dimes Group operating model remain unchanged. We continue striving to deliver the best gambling experience to our customers, always aiming to innovate in the industry with more and better betting options to choose from. Our thoughts and prayers join the rest of the online gaming industry for Tony's safe return to his family. Again, this is before the discovery of the body was made. So it appears it's still going to run. I don't know if his wife is technically going to be the owner or if it's uh, partially owned now by others, but... uh, I don't know the corporate structure there, but uh, they're going to keep running it. How safe is Five Dimes at this point? It's probably still safe at this point, as far as betting there. It's probably, yeah, there probably is a plan to operate Five Dimes if something were to happen to Tony. Now, who did it? Who did it? Was it it just costa rican locals and by the way tony was an american it was a costa rican locals who uh, just knew he was rich and knew this he'd be a good target or perhaps was it someone who knew him who knew his route home who knew his patterns who knew uh how to pull this off better it's always easier to pull this off against someone that you know rather than a stranger because you you know when if you know the person well you know when to get them alone you know how much ransom they could pay, or if they would pay, or how vulnerable they are. You, you know a lot of these things. You may even know when they're traveling without bodyguards. So uh, he was the perfect victim for this. And I always wondered, long before this happened, I've, I wondered years ago, if Americans who live in places like this, like Costa Rica, are safe if they have a lot of money, and especially if they're involved in a shady industry like, like online bookmaking. So Tony was the perfect victim. Number one, he was wealthy. Number two... He had a lot of Bitcoin instantly at his disposal. The average person would have to go through a lot of trouble to, to get a, a bunch of money in Bitcoin. Uh, he wouldn't. Also, he was blatantly breaking U.S. law and living in Costa Rica so he could get away with breaking U.S. law, and that is by running an online sports book. Why does that matter? Well, because the U.S. government, which otherwise would be very disturbed by a story like this and might send their own agents in, to help investigate this, uh, the U.S. government probably won't care much about this, and indeed it seems like they don't, because it seems kind of more like criminal-on-criminal violence. Not that Tony was violent, but Tony was there in Costa Rica to break U.S. law, and was breaking U.S. law. 
So when someone who goes to another country to run an illegal gambling site gets kidnapped, held for ransom, and murdered, uh, the U.S. government just kind of says, well, okay, that's what you get. We're not going to expend a lot of resources to try to solve who murdered this criminal in another country. That's kind of just the risk the guy took. It'd be different if it was a legitimate businessman who got murdered and kidnapped over there in, uh, in Costa Rica. That might bring a different response from organizations like the FBI. So he really was the perfect victim in all ways. You might even notice the U.S. media doesn't need to care about this. Think if, if a non-criminal businessman, just a regular businessman doing work in Costa Rica, was kidnapped, held for 750k ransom, which was paid, and then he was killed. I, I think that would be a pretty big story. I think you'd be seeing on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC and uh, you know all the all the news sites. Instead, nothing, absolutely nothing. You, there's a few news stories on gambling-related sites, and that's it. Otherwise, nobody cares. I kind of liken it to. Uh, when, when gang members kill each other, you, you don't read about that very much either. How often do you read about individual gang members killed by other gang members in Chicago or Detroit? You don't. You, you don't really see it. It's not, it's not newsworthy. It's considered criminal on criminal violence, and while they, they have to investigate it, it's not something that the public cares much about, and the media doesn't care much about it. So this is kind of similar. But is there more of an angle to this? Was someone close to Tony involved? Did someone set him up? And from articles I've been reading, the answer is that yes, that's strongly suspected. I don't know why, but that's strongly suspected for some reason. They claim the OIJ will be investigating further and report their conclusions in the coming week. Also... His wife apparently hired some former FBI agents to come to Costa Rica and work as private investigators when Tony vanished, and apparently they were running into some issues themselves that the OIJ was uh, clashing with them and claiming that they were acquiring weapons without getting official permission to do so. And There's been a lot of controversy over this because there's some belief that the OIJ just doesn't care much about this. Whereas uh, a similar case where a Chinese businessman was uh, kidnapped in Costa Rica under similar circumstances, the OIJ took an instant interest in the whole thing and got the guy back. Here it seemed like there was much less interest, and I think it might be because of the type of business Tony was in. Even though it's not illegal to run that sort of thing from Costa Rica, they may just see it differently. They may see it that this is someone who is there in Costa Rica to break U.S. law and is running kind of a shady business and that they uh, they know the international community won't care that much about this so they don't either. Some people are saying maybe his wife is involved. I, I don't think so. The reason I don't think so is they've been together a long time. They have a kid together. I'm not saying it's impossible but Uh, I don't know. Duke Samaritan is suggesting something is possible. He's just guessing here. But he's saying maybe when they ran him off the road that he suffered injuries. And since they couldn't bring him to a hospital, obviously, that uh, he died of his injuries and then they just had to dump him. 
But we'll, I, we'll find that out soon, whether it looked like he died from blood force trauma, like from an auto accident, or if he was shot dead. We will find that out soon. It, it was just reported a few hours ago that he was found dead. I don't think he died of his injuries from the accident because the car didn't look that beat up. It's not like the car looked just like a crumpled mess. I think they killed him. I think they decided that it was better off for them that he was dead than alive. They already got their ransom money and maybe they were afraid that he would identify them in some ways. Trader Ruski, did you read much about this story? No, I mean, just what you kind of tweeted and posted. I didn't look too much into it, but when when you mentioned the wife, I was thinking the wife or the wife's family. It has to be somebody that kind of knew, yeah, it had an inside job by one of the employees. Or yeah, that's what I think. Set up with one of the local gangs or something. I think it was an employee. I, I think if, there, if, if it wasn't just a random who just knew he had money and knew he'd be a good target, I think it was an employee there maybe a high-ranking one, who uh, saw an opportunity to get some fairly big money and then ditch out. Yeah, or it could have been like somebody approached them, one of these gangs to kidnap people and get ransoms, and they got somebody on the inside to give them some info. It's always dangerous to operate that type of business in that type of place as especially as a foreigner it just uh, it, it just there's just too many ways that something like this can happen so uh, anyway he he's no longer alive no more tony anybody with stories about tony anyone with with tony horror stories you can feel free to post them on poker fraud alert because uh not going to be a consequence now uh, how do I feel about this? Um, I don't feel sad for him because for, from everything I've heard, he just wasn't a very good guy. He wasn't like an outright scammer, but it sounded like he was paranoid and, and, and screwed some people as a result of his own paranoia and was very gruff and difficult to deal with. There's a lot of bad stories about him. And... Unfortunately for him, this is, you know, you live by the illegal sports book being run from a dangerous country and die by it, literally. And that's that's a risk you take. I'm not saying he deserved to die, but at the same time, uh, he chose this life for himself. And he wasn't a very nice person from what I heard. So it's it's hard for me to feel like oh this is tragic this is really too bad like i i don't really feel that way to me it's just kind of just an interesting story to to talk about but not someone i feel really bad for whereas like just a a random businessman who went down there if this happened to i'd feel very bad for him now i do feel bad for his kid that they lost lost their father and and his wife i guess but uh i don't know from everything I've heard about him and from what he was into and the way he treated the customers and it's, it's just one of these things I have a hard time really thinking that, uh, this is a tragedy. Now someone tweeted 
you're going to like this one. We have a twist. <laughs> I mean, I, this probably isn't true, but we, we have a twist. We have uh, a new twist of the story. This is kind of like, this is already kind of movie-like, you know, being run off the road and being held for ransom and then his body is dumped and after the ransom's paid. Like, this sounds like something you'd see in a movie, not real life. Well, of course, there's a new element here now, which was just revealed on Twitter, which also plays perfectly into the movie script. Someone named Jaron Johansson tweeted the following just 45 minutes ago. Multiple websites reporting tonight Tony from Five Dimes is not dead. Costa Rica was considering allowing the extradition of Tony to the United States to face money laundering charges. He was tipped off by the people in Costa Rica government and may have fled to Cuba. Ah, the plot thickens. And he says that, that, is, that is an interesting twist. It definitely makes sense. And, and he's claiming that the Costa Rican newspaper reporting that he's been found dead is equivalent to the National Enquirer in the United States. Imagine if that's the case. Imagine if he, he's faked his own death here through a shady newspaper. But the, the hole in this is what about the OIJ? Why are they not making a statement like, you know, Tony isn't really dead or Tony wasn't really kidnapped. Like, But I, I guess it's possible. Like, the, the paper can report all they want, but, but it's not going to fool. Is, is it really going to fool the U.S. since the OIJ is investigating? The OIJ will, will, will know if the body was found or not. So that'll Right, come. but they're probably still investigating, so I don't know how much they'd be giving up. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess it's a possibility that this is him faking his own death and, and ditching out and going to Cuba. Like maybe the quote ransom was uh, was really money being sent to him to live on in Cuba. And that he faked his own kidnapping. If you think about it, I'm not saying I agree with this. I'm just saying that if you think about it, if he wanted, if he, if he felt that Costa Rica was about to turn him over to the U.S., but wanted to get money over to where wherever he was going, like in Cuba, and live off of that while he's hiding, uh, this this would be a perfect way to do it. The only problem is the body thing. Uh, if it wasn't... Now, I guess without the body, if, if there was no body found and the newspaper just was putting that for stupid reasons, who knows why, if there's no body found and he's just perpetually missing, then it could just be assumed he's dead when in reality he's just hiding in Cuba and the U.S. lose interest. So... That's an interesting twist. We'll have to see where that goes. So maybe Tony's still alive. Welcome back, Tony. Maybe you've been brought back from the dead. Mm. Yeah, of, of course we're getting the obligatory see money jokes in in the chat. Uh, disposition saying he must have read the see money thread for tips. <laughs> Come on. All right, so <clears throat> interesting story. We'll follow it. If anything further develops as we're doing this show, I'll let you know. A lot of this has just come out in the last few hours. Let's move over to Bobby Baldwin. It's hard to do a short show. It just everything takes so long. How does anyone else do a short show? How does like Terrence Chan and Dan- Daniel Negreanu and Adam Schwartz, how do they do a short show? 
I, I don't know how they do it. By the way, I haven't really listened much to that show. I've only listened to it a little bit. But someone's telling me that there's been a lot of promotion of Poker Stars, like backdoor promotion by Negranu. And someone says they suspect that Poker Stars is secretly sponsoring it. It's like a backdoor sponsor. And I thought, you know what? That's not even that far-fetched. Because uh, there's a reason they're all doing it. I don't think they're doing it all for free. I don't know if the show has other sponsors. I haven't listened enough to know that. But, you know, Daniel's involved for some reason. I don't think it's just to piss off Mason. So, I wonder. I wonder if Poker Stars is a backdoor sponsor. It would explain a lot of things. Okay, let's talk about Bobby Baldwin. And him stepping down from Bellagio. Now, Bobby Baldwin, a longtime figure in poker. He's in the Poker Hall of Fame. He was the 1978 World Series of Poker main event champion. Of course, there was a very small field back then, but still, he is a main event champion. He is currently a high-stakes cash player sometimes. And he currently is a high-ranking executive at MGM Resorts. He's also said to be the one in charge of the poker rooms running at Bellagio and Aria, which are MGM properties. When I say in charge, he's not running day-to-day operations, but uh, basically what he says goes, is what I've heard. We covered earlier this year the controversy of the, what, of the, quote, private games, the illegal, quote, private games where they would shut people out from playing in certain games of the Aria. I was hearing unconfirmed reports that Bobby Baldwin was the one who was ordering that such games exist. That it was really uh, kind of Bobby Baldwin's thing that these things would run in the way they were running. Again, not confirmed, but uh, anyway, it has been confirmed as of October 4th that Bobby Baldwin is going to be leaving. This was the press release put out by MGM on uh, October 4th. MGM Resorts International today announced that Robert Baldwin, Chief Customer Development Officer of MGM Resorts and and CEO and president of City Center. I didn't know that, that he was actually the CEO of the City Center portion of uh, MGM's properties. Will be leaving his positions at both companies later this year. Few have played a more central role in the growth and transformation of the gaming industry than Bobby and his contributions over more than three decades are immeasurable. MGM Resorts thanks Bobby for all that he's done for the company and all he has meant to this industry and wishes them the best for the future. So let's, let's break this down. He's not leaving immediately, but it'll be, quote, later this year, which there's not much of the year left. This is on October 4th. There's less than three months left when they make that announcement. So, quote, later this year, sounds like before 2019, he's going to be gone. And, yeah, they, they, they put out the nice little blurb about him being uh, influential on in the growth and transformation of the gaming industry uh, over three decades, blah, blah, blah. But, that, but that's it. They're not saying why he's leaving. They're not saying what he's doing next. Uh, nothing. Just, just he's he's leaving both positions later this year. So, Vital Vegas, which is a Twitter account that puts out a lot of Vegas rumors, some of which turn out to be true and some of which are not. 
This is what Vital Vegas tweeted out that same day. Two words you won't see in our local papers, glowing stories about Bobby Baldwin and his MGM Resort's departure. Forced out. Mm. Forced out, they're saying. Then it went further. It went further. Uh, Chad Holloway, former Poker News employee, respected poker journalist, tweeted the following. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a preemptive move to avoid potential misconduct allegations like those brought against his good friend Steve Wynn. Hmm. Now, there were rumors over the years that Bobby Baldwin was somewhat of a womanizer. So, could that be what's going on here? Now, being a womanizer, that by itself uh, wouldn't be a scandal if you just have sex with a lot of different women and even if you're kind of deceptive about it and, you know, let's say let's say you have sex with, you know, 10 different women in a short time and kind of imply to all 10 of them that you want a relationship with them and then kind of ditch out on them. It's kind of a crappy thing to do, but uh, that wouldn't be a scandal because the sex itself would be consensual and it wouldn't be between employees and employers. It, it would just be, you know, kind of personal life issues he has that really wouldn't be scandalous enough to make him have to resign. But but perhaps it involved people working at MGM. Perhaps there was some kind of sexual harassment that went on of you know women that didn't want this type of attention and he was giving it to them anyway. I'm just guessing here. So there's some rumors about that. But again, just rumors. There were also some rumors that the whole controversy last year between Leon Sukernik and Aussie Matt Kirk that went public and was in the Nevada court system involving where Matt Kirk lent Leon Sukernik money when they were playing each other heads up and then Matt Kirk won that money and Leon was supposed to pay him back millions of dollars and then Leon welched on him. And that supposedly Bobby Baldwin was okay with that going on there. And yet that was a gaming violation to allow such loans to be made at the table. Because the reason that would have been illegal is that it's illegal to give chips to someone else. It's technically illegal to do that. That's why if you go to cash out your chips in Vegas... And if they ask you, where did you get these chips? And you go, oh, well, I got them from John over there. He owed me 3000 bucks from last week. They'll say, thank you, and they'll take your chips and not pay you. I'm not even kidding. That's what that's will happen. That actually did happen to Nolan Dalla some years ago, where they confiscated a $5,000 chip from him when he said that he got this from somebody else who owed him money, which was true. But they confiscated the chip. They can do that by law. So you're not allowed to give gaming chips to anybody else. Any gaming chips you have, you can either keep yourself and just not cash them in or cash them in or or keep gaming with them. You cannot use them to pay any debts or give to anyone else. 
Somehow they overlook this when people tip with them to cocktail waitresses, and I never understood that. But they're never supposed to be used for any kind of payment, nor are they supposed to be transferred from one person to another. It goes on at the poker table. Sometimes, you know, someone's about to leave and says, hey, can I buy a rack from you? And, and you know, you'll throw the person the cash and they'll show you, throw you the chips. No one says anything. But technically that's illegal. So that type of loan where Aussie Matt would have slid over $2 million worth of chips to Leon Sukernik, and then Leon Sukernik you know, was supposed to pay him back later in cash, that's technically illegal. And if the ARIA was aware of this, then that was a gaming violation. And there was there were some rumors that some people at MGM were not happy about that once it went public that this whole thing happened. So there's also some suspicion that may have had to do with Bobby Baldwin's departure. That they were afraid of the next scandal like this. That they were afraid that Bobby Baldwin kind of operates things in old school... Uh, poker honor style rather than necessarily following the law to the letter, which is not a good way to do things if you're an executive at a large corporation. What's interesting about Bobby Baldwin is that he actually rose up from being a pool hustler to eventually becoming this respected highly placed executive at a major casino corporation. Archie Karras, who went on that, what they call the run, which he claimed he started off with, with very little money and then ran up to 30 million gambling. Though, by the way, this is uh, suspected to be exaggerated, but you know, let's put that aside. Uh, he did talk about, Archie Karras talked about how he used to gamble in pool, at pool against a billiards, a billiards champion who also was a gambler. And that uh, billiards champion was uh, apparently Bobby Baldwin. So Bobby Baldwin went from uh, being a pool hustler back in the 70s, in the earlier 70s, to being a World Series of Poker champion and then eventually became an executive and still a poker player, but more of a cash player at uh, MGM, but now it looks like he'll be leaving there. So, kind of strange. We may be, we may never know why Bobby Baldwin is leaving MGM Resorts, but he is. He will be gone. I, January 1st, 2019, I'd be very shocked if he's still there. Maybe we'll eventually hear why, maybe we won't. Trader Risky, what have you heard about uh, Bobby Baldwin? Um, I mean, good things over the years. A friend of mine was his bridge partner. And, but, yeah, I wonder if they'll still call Bobby's room, too. That'll be interesting. The, the rumor is that they won't. The rumor is that once he's gone, they're going to rename it. You know, they could have to do, too, with, like, how they're adjusting all the stuff they're doing at, at MGM to try to, you know, have revenue come in from parking and all these other things because they don't appreciate the gamblers as much. And I'm sure there's a lot of tension there with some of the other execs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the story which really resonates with me the most is not the sexual harassment story, which are just pure rumors. And I, I don't, there's no evidence that that's really true. The, the one that resonates with me the most is that 
it might really have to do with the whole thing with uh, Aussie Matt Kirk and Leon Sukernik that they realize they they don't want a gambler in charge of so much at, at such a big corporation, and they they need just kind of a more of a typical corporate executive types who type who who follows the law and it, it isn't influenced by you know by gambling culture and wanting to bend the rules for other gamblers but just someone who says no you can't do this because this is against the law sorry they they may want to have that type of person in charge rather than someone like baldwin is like well yeah this is a typical thing people do at high stakes you know like i think they probably don't want someone like that in charge so maybe maybe that's uh, maybe they got tired of bobby's way of doing things Maybe between that and that, the private games people have been complaining about, maybe they just said, you know what, we we want someone who's more by the book. And and so maybe they just, there was some tension, like you, you're, you're saying here, and maybe they just said, you know what, Bobby, we're, we appreciate everything you've done, and we're going to let you exit gracefully, and we'll put out a nice statement about you, but um, we're, we're kind of changing things here. We want someone else. We want a different type of person in charge. And that's that. Maybe something like that. Uh, I I have to imagine he'll probably just retire at this point. He's older. Um, he's 68 years old. So he doesn't necessarily have to go and start another career at this point. I have to imagine he has a lot of money. So I guess we'll see. Anybody who was playing the World Series of Poker in 1978 is... is, is not very young anymore. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see too if like uh, Caesar scoops him up or something. Yeah, I guess that's possible too. That that's. I mean, I can see that. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I guess I could see that. Yeah, it's it's possible that, uh, especially because uh, sometimes they might be able to find out things that they'd like to know about the competing companies. So maybe maybe they would like to scoop him up. That's that's a good guess. Well, we'll see. We'll see if he even wants something like that or if he's just ready to retire and call it a career at age 68. Yeah, or, or even minimum, just a consultant. I'm sure he'd be able to fleece a ton of the players and give them information and everything else. Yeah. All right, so moving on here. Uh, <clears throat> a key witness is another crime story, by the way. A key witness to a casino fraud case was found dead from what was said to be an accidental fall. Yeah. By the way, I have some background noise there, Trader Risky. My bad. Yeah, there we go. So so anyway, yeah, this, this is an interesting story. And you can listen and you can decide for yourself if this was really... Uh, something that involved foul play, or if it really was what they're claiming it was. So here's the story. In 2015, 25-year-old Matthew Crane was a dealer at the Mohegan Sun Pocono, which is located in Pennsylvania. It's located uh, near Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Kind of by a former uh, and and once-in-a-while current poker fraud alert member Yebsite, who lives in Scranton. So, so this was the Mohegan Sun Pocono, an Indian casino. And uh, Matthew was dating 
a woman named Rochelle Pazel. Is that a hard name to say? Pazel Pazeluznij. P O S Z E L U Z N Y J. Try to say that one. Pazeluznij, I guess. I was just going to call her Rochelle. Rochelle was a cocktail waitress at the casino, and the two of them started dating. She's a little bit older than Matthew. I think she's early 30s, like 32 or something. And Matthew found out, I, I guess through Rochelle, that there was an ongoing scheme to steal free play from the casino. And Matthew went and reported this to the authorities. The scheme involved three people. Robert Pellegrini was the casino VP of player development. Uh, Mark Heltzel was a frequent customer at the casino. And then there was Rochelle, who was a cocktail waitress. Now, how did they get together to steal free play? Well, this is how it worked. Rochelle, the cocktail waitress, was be serving her drinks. And when players wanted to pay for their drinks with their card, they don't just give free drinks. I guess you have to pay for them, with your, but you can use your player's club card to use your points for them. So... To pay for the drinks, they would have to give their pin to her to run the card, which I, that doesn't sound very smart. Like I, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving my pin to a cocktail waitress, but that, but that's what they did. They'd give her the, the the pin and 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 the card. So what Rochelle would do is she would write down the pin and the card number of all of these players secretly, of course. Then she would bring that information to Robert, the casino VP. And Robert would then add additional free play onto these cards. And he would make duplicates of these cards. Then he would give these cards to Mark, who was a customer at the casino. Mark was a frequent customer. He didn't work for the casino. He was a frequent customer there, and he and Robert were were, were friends by this point. So then Mark would actually run the free play on the cards and cash out the winnings. Then the three would split the proceeds in some way. Now... This didn't affect the players. It sounds like he, they were stealing free play from the players, but they weren't. Because what would happen would be that Robert would add free play to these cards, and Mark would only run the additional free play that Robert would add. If there was free play that the player had earned already, Mark would not run that. It wasn't because Mark was such a stand-up guy and didn't want to steal from them. Uh, Mark didn't run the player's free play because he didn't want them to become suspicious. Because if you think you have $800 free play on your card and you put your card in the machine and you see you have 200 or you have zero, you'll go to the, the, the casino players club desk and say, hey, what the hell? What happened to my free play? And then they'll look and see what happened and, and see that it was stolen and the whole scheme would fall apart. So the only way they could do this without the players being suspicious that their cards were being used was to add free play that they didn't know they had. And then Mark would run that additional free play and stop before running any free play that the player had prior to this. So it, it did not affect the players at all, but it was basically stealing from the casino. It really was. It was just outright stealing. They would put free play on that shouldn't have been there, and then Mark would run these cards and cash out, and they'd split it. So during part of 2014 and 2015, they stole about $419,000 from the casino this way. They ran about 480000 of free play, which resulted in about 419000 in winnings. This was going undetected. They, they, they were so clueless of this casino... That nobody was monitoring this. Nobody was was watching the free play that Robert was adding on there. He was the VP in, in charge of player development. So the guy, I guess the, he was the one overseeing the whole thing. So nobody caught this. This was the perfect crime, except for the fact 
that Matthew Crane found out about it, probably from his girlfriend, Rochelle. And I guess it bothered him enough to where he turned in his girlfriend and these other two. So, in June of 2017, so all three were, all three were arrested. In June of 2017, Robert Pellegrini was sentenced to 32 months in prison. Uh, Robert claimed he was only funding a gambling problem and that he routinely lost big money at other casinos. He admitted to being the ringleader of the scheme, but the judge did give him some mercy because he received several letters about Robert's conduct in everyday life and it seemed to paint him as, as a overall good guy who just made a stupid mistake. Mark Heltzel was sentenced to 18 months in prison for the scheme and Rochelle, she skated away with only six months house arrest and probation. Why did she get away with only six months house arrest and probation while the other two got real prison time? Well, it's because she has a vagina. I'm not kidding. Now, women do suffer some disadvantages in life. There are certain times in life that it's easier to be a man. I'll acknowledge that. But there are also times in life where it's easier to be a woman. This is one of them. If you're accused of a crime, it's much better to be female. Females tend to get sentenced much less harshly than males do for the exact same crimes. Courts always have more mercy on females for whatever reason. Maybe because they're seen as more vulnerable, they're not seen to be as strong. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I, for whatever reason, it seems that criminal sentencing is much, much tougher on males. Not just seems, it is. I mean, it, it, if you look at the statistics, it's, it's definitely true that men get sentenced much more harshly than women for the same crimes. So this this is one of those cases where I, I would think she would deserve the same sentence as Mark. Robert was the ringleader. He, I, I agree he deserved the most, but, but Mark was an accomplice and so was Rochelle. I, I think they were about equally culpable in this. So why, why Mark should get 18 months of prison and she gets six months house arrest, that's just uh, the gender bias in the court system. So anyway, just in case you think this is the one mistake that Robert Pellegrini made, uh, think again. It was discovered after this that before all this happened, it was discovered after, but it happened before, that Mark also rigged a contest at the casino where Mark Heltzel was actually the winner of this contest. It was a $10,000 Easter egg contest. I don't know exactly how it was supposed to work, but uh, in early 2014, uh, Mark, or it was rigged for Mark to win. They also charged Robert for that, and he only got probation for that one. But let's get back to Matthew Crane and, and the main reason I'm telling this story. Matthew Crane was found dead on September 8th, 2018. Yeah. Found dead face down in a creek. I played the gunshot sound, but it wasn't from a gunshot. He was found just drowned. He had drowned in a creek. Very suspicious, right? They, they, he was the one who turned them in. He was the key witness. This was after the sentencing, so it wasn't to stop him from testifying or anything, but is it possible that this was payback for what he did? Did, did one of these three murder him by drowning him in a creek? Well, the police are claiming that Matthew Crane fell off a railroad trestle and drowned. 
Now, while that's possible, I think the police are dismissing it too easily. Especially because they don't even know why he was walking on that railroad trestle at the time he fell. He was just there. He was just walking on the trestle and he supposedly fall, falls off and drowns. Uh, is it possible he was followed there and pushed? Yes. Is it possible he was maybe even knocked out in some way and then pushed over and then landed face down and drowned because he was unconscious? Yeah. Is there evidence that happened? Not necessarily, but I, I think they were dismissing it too easily. But whatever it is, they've they've made the determination it was an accidental fall and that he was not murdered. Now, it is important to keep in mind he didn't rat out the mob here. He didn't rat out a sophisticated, violent criminal organization. He ratted out three people who were not sophisticated or hardened criminals. These were people with no violent history, were not part of the mob, were not part of any kind of criminal organization, didn't have any history of anything violent. And this was after the sentences had already been handed down. And the worst sentence was 32 months in prison. Nobody got sentenced for 20 years there. So do you really go commit murder over this, even if you're pissed? So I don't think so. I don't think they killed him. I think it was just an unfortunate coincidence. But I I do think the police over there are dismissing it a bit too easily. Trader Whiskey, what do you think? Do you think he was murdered or do you think this was just uh, bad luck? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I can't imagine they'd go after him. Like you said, it was 32 months. They already got sentenced. Uh, I don't know why they did that. Now, now, if they, you know, if they did it before, he testified, obviously. You know. Yeah, that would have been worse. But yeah, I have to think it was really an accident. Now, you may wonder what happened to the casino over this. Were they in trouble at all for being so clueless as to allow this to happen? Yes, they lost money from it, but also should, should they also be punished and were they punished? Well, the answer is yes. The casino was fined uh, over two matters. This and one other matter, they were fined. One million dollars. Yeah, one million dollar fine. Not just over this. They were fined $550,000 for not having proper internal controls to prevent this whole scheme. They were also fined $450,000 for a completely separate issue of hiring unlicensed vendors to work there. <laughs> that really sounds like a well-run place. <laughs> so you can steal over four hundred k from them over a period of about a year, and they have no clue what's happening. And at the same time, they're hiring unlicensed vendors for the place. Great. So they, they paid a cool million over these two matters. Okay. Not much more to say there, but I thought it was an interesting story. William Kasuf, the nine high like a boss guy. The one who came into prominence in the 2017 World Series of Poker on TV for all his... Uh, obnoxious speech play and particularly one hand that he played against uh, Stacy Madison where he was bluffing and had nine high at the end and then showed it and said nine high like a boss despite his obnoxiousness at the table despite the fact that with just two tables left in the World Series main event that year 
he, he caused a meltdown by uh, Griffin Benger, who even told him to check his privilege at one point. Uh, even though a lot of people didn't like William Kasuf, uh, William Kasuf kind of became like a, a poker celebrity in some ways. Uh, the, everyone seemed to know him. People were always taking pictures with him. Uh, a lot of people kind of admired him. Yes, there were some people who didn't like him, but uh, it, it was, he was a polarizing figure, but he was well-known, and, and a lot of people did like and admire him just for uh, what he had done and what he had accomplished with all of his uh, speech play during that main event. Uh, this was enough for William Kasuf to actually get a sponsorship, which I didn't even know about, but he got a sponsorship. And uh, things seemed to be going pretty well for him, at least on the surface. But as frequently happens, uh, things aren't as rosy as they seem. On September 16th of this year, Sean Deeb tweeted the following. Just got a very interesting message about William Kasuf getting caught palming $100 chips at a roulette table and getting banned from all properties and dropped by his sponsorship. Shocked to hear it, but now we know where his buy-ins were coming from. Good riddance. Now, this is funny because Sean Deeb got mad at me, and he called up and went off on me on this show for repeating that Barry Greenstein was accusing him of cheating in open-faced Chinese. Now, I'll be clear again. I don't know if Sean really was cheating or if Barry was just assuming it. I'm just repeating what Barry said, and that's what I was at the time. But Sean Deeb really let me have it for repeating rumors like that without knowing they're true. And I even tried to apologize to him. I said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Anyway, uh, what was Sean doing here? Repeating rumors that he didn't know were true. Now, it turned out Sean was right here. This really was true, but he didn't know it at the time. He he didn't know for sure that what he was saying was true. So he was basically doing what I did. And I I guess when he does it, it's okay. And when I do it to him, it's not. But but whatever. uh, since it turned out this was true, he didn't really take much flack for it. So th- this was from Michael J. O'Mahony, who was describing what happened. This was a post on Facebook. By the way, could there be a more Irish name than Michael J. O'Mahony? I, I think that's, uh, that's almost as Irish as you can get. This is what, what Michael J. O'Mahony, the leprechaun, said. Uh no gossip. We were all drunk, and the only one playing roulette was one mate, like one mate, uh, who won about 4K and let us bet bet for him using single one chips he had. I don't know what it means by that. We put a bet on that, won another 2,800 pounds, and Kasuf started celebrating and grabbing the 100-pound chips, which myself and mates took back. But in all the ensuing betting was seen pocketing some. That's when the argument happened. Like I said, we all wanted to keep it between us, and we had a private argument at a bar with a view to it being sorted the next day. Even in a taxi at a hotel, we said we, ne- we, we said we'd never want to see him get fucked and lose his sponsor. Unfortunately, some of the uh, media staff overheard and told management. It's not my place to write this, really, but sick of people defending him, saying it must be a mistake. Definitely wasn't, and he'll have to accept the consequences as well as lose friends he had. So, so basically, the, what he's saying here, it's not a very well-told story here, but uh, what Michael J. O'Mahony was trying to say is that these 100-pound chips were actually being stolen by William Kasuf. That he, he was actually pocketing chips. So, so basically, they were all betting together and, and, and messing around on roulette, and, and when they'd win, 
Kasuf was grabbing them and supposed to be pulling them back and putting them in the pile, and instead he was he was palming some of them and pocketing them. So they'd bet on roulette, they'd win, they go yay, and and Kasuf would grab them and you know pull them back into the it was supposed to be in the the winning pile of all their chips, and, and instead he kind of keeps a few in the palm of his hands and sticks them in his pocket, and then he got caught. So this is much worse than stealing from the casino. This is stealing from your friends. And I hate when people say, oh, stealing, stealing. No, it isn't. It's much worse to steal from those you are close to, those that trust you, those you have a close relationship with. Much worse to do that than steal from a corporation. I'm not saying stealing from a corporation is right. I'm saying that there's a very big difference in stealing from those who have put their personal trust in you. That's that's the lowest form of stealing. Lowest form meaning the, the most despicable form of stealing. And I hate when people say, oh, it's the same thing, it's all stealing. No, it's not. Because the, the casino, you and the casino don't have uh, any trust for each other. It's a, it's a business relationship. And if you steal from them, it's, 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 it's basically you stealing from a business. Which, again, I'm not defending. But it's not as bad as stealing from people who have a personal relationship with you that have put their trust in you personally. That's really, really low. And I think worse than if he was stealing from like a random player there. Too. Right, the, right. The, the, I, I would say the, th- the three levels are the, the worst is stealing from your friends uh, or family. I you know, probably around the same as far as stealing from people very close to you. Second worst is stealing from other patrons there who you don't really know, strangers. And third worst is, is stealing from the casino. All bad, but 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 by far the worst one is stealing from people who are close to you. So then there was some speculation for two days. Is this true? And Kasuf was not responding for two days. And that made people think it's got to be true because obviously with this circulating everywhere and becoming a big story, he would have defended himself if this was all made up. So finally on September 18th, two days later, he tweeted out a statement. He wrote, it is with great sadness that I write the following statement, but I feel it's necessary to clarify the situation that I'm now that I'm at liberty to do so. This is what he wrote. Last weekend, during the course of a drunken night playing roulette with friends, I made an error of judgment, which I greatly regret, something which I accept full responsibility for. I have apologized and will apologize again to all my friends who were with me that night for my foolish behavior. That's, that's basically admitting that, yes, I stole from them. <laughs> As a result of this embarrassing incident, my sponsor, Grosvenor Poker, and I have mutually agreed to part ways. Yeah, they, I'm, I'm sure it was a, a mutual agreement to part ways. <laughs> like, come on. Why, why even say that? A, a mutual agreement to part ways is, is like if Grosvenor Poker, if this hadn't happened and they, the, Grosvenor Poker came to me and said, uh, uh, William here, um, we can't afford to keep you anymore, so what we're going to do is we're going to cut your salary in half to be a, a sponsored player. Is that okay with you? Do you wish to still be a sponsored player? And, and, and he says, uh, and he says, no, 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 that's bollocks. I'm not going to stay as a sponsored player for that sort of money. And then, then they go their separate ways. That, that's a mutual agreement where they, they, they can't come to financial terms or, or William just decides he doesn't want to be a sponsored player anymore. That, that's like a, a mutual agreement that they're, they're both departing. Not when he's done something shameful and they don't want to be associated with him anymore. So I guess the only way it's a, quote, mutual agreement is if they come to him and say, hey, uh, this is bad. We're about to fire you. And he says – yeah, I understand. Sure, go ahead and fire me. That's that's probably the way it really went, <laughs> where he, he didn't want to fight it at that point because he knew there was no point. 
But I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everyone I've worked with at Grosvenor Poker for all they've done for me, and I'm proud to have been part of Team Grosvenor. I'd like to apologize to all my family, friends, fans, and followers for my behavior on this occasion. I accept the consequences of my action and would now like to draw a line under this whole matter and move on. I will continue to do what I do best by bringing the fun and entertainment factor back to poker, as that's what's most important to me in my poker career. I wish all of you the best of luck and look forward to seeing you at the tables. Thank you for your understanding. Much love, Will. So there was some mixed reaction to this. Some people praised him for putting forth this apology. Said, okay, he's taken his lumps. He's apologized. He's admitted it. Uh, this, this is what, for example, FTP Jesus wrote on, on Poker Fraud Alert. He wrote, uh, much of much as the dude's antics in the World Series were grounds for a beatdown, the fact that he fell on his sword, so to speak, and admitted he fucked up accounts for something we don't usually see among poker players, uh, which is taking responsibility for your actions and consequences therein. I, I disagree. He only did this because he he dealt with, with two days of getting beat down on social media about it, and he had to make a statement. And he knew saying nothing would be assumed to be guilt. So that that's why he did it. And apparently he he was said to have palmed nine chips total. So he only stole 900 pounds, which is about like, I think like $1,400 or something. So he, uh, people are wondering, what is he doing? Is he really that broke to where he, he has to steal that sum of money from his friends? I don't even necessarily think he has to be broke. I think it, it may just be, He's dishonest. He's a scumbag criminal. Yeah, he's just dishonest. And, yeah. I mean, and when you're drunk, it's like that's where, you know, the truth serum comes out, right? Yeah, right. And and, and uh, so he probably has that urge to steal from people, even his friends. And he was drunk, and, and it brought down his inhibitions to do it. Most people, when they get drunk, don't get the desire to steal from their friends. Like that, that doesn't happen very often where someone gets drunk and is like, uh, oh, you don't think I'd, I'll do today? I, I'm going to rip off some, some chips from my friends. Now that I'm drunk, uh, it, it feels like a splendid idea. Like it, it doesn't happen that way. I, I think the only difference is if he wasn't drunk, he might think, uh, oh, I'd love to palm these chips. I'm just afraid of getting caught. Maybe I better not do so. so. And isn't he an attorney, Druff? Yes, I'm wondering if that's going to... Because I'm wondering if that could... I mean, it- I mean, obviously, yeah. If it's not, if he's not arrested and convicted, maybe it wouldn't affect his license. Yeah, but who the hell yeah. I don't think he was arrested for it. So probably, since it was between the friends and they weren't trying to press charges or report him criminally, this was just one of these things. Like, hey, you know, William is a scumbag for doing this, and you know, it got out. Sean D put it out, and then the story blew up, and that was that. So, uh, I, I think this is going to really put a dent in. William Kasuf's uh, fan base. I don't think a lot of people are going to think it's so cute anymore when he does his table talk plays. You're just going to see this and you're going to think, oh, well, this is that scumbag who steals from his friends. So I, I think this is kind of, I mean, I'm sure he's still going to play poker. He may still do the same sort of antics, but I don't think they'll be as well received anymore. But you never know in poker. Sometimes the memory's short for scummy things that happen. But. I mean, it makes me see him differently. We we had him on the show, and you know, I didn't think badly of him at the time. But uh, I mean, I, I could understand how people were were irritated watching him, and especially playing with him. 
And some people even say, look, you know, you may think it's funny on TV, but imagine being with that all day. And I'm like, yeah, I understand. I'd probably, I'd probably be irritated by it too. But uh, still, you know, that's, uh, as long as what he's doing is within the rules and he's not being a complete complete asshole about it, fine. You know, that's kind of just his, his thing. But uh, the stealing, that's a different story. But there, I, I was being told that uh, it's not uh, Grosvenor, it's, it's Grovner. <laughs> so... Uh, so the S is silent. Sorry about that. All right, let's see here. Um, Caesars, are they going to buy the Golden Nugget? That report has come out in the Las Vegas Review Journal. And that would be kind of a strange purchase in some ways, but also not. Let me tell you what's going on with that. Uh, Tillman Fertitta owns Landry's, which is the parent company of the Golden Nugget, and they also have other businesses such as restaurants. So Tillman Fertitta has proposed to Caesars that they should buy his business at $13 a share. It's, it's called a, a reverse takeover. So instead of him saying, oh, yeah, we're going to buy Caesars shares and take it over, He's going to Caesars and say, hey, I think you should buy my company's shares and take me over. Caesars is considering it, but they're not really making any kind of public statement about it at this time. Uh, Golden Nugget has five casinos total. They have one in downtown Vegas, <coughs> one in Laughlin, one in Biloxi, Mississippi, one in Atlantic City, and one in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which uh, serves the Houston market. Though it's not right next to Houston, it's a bit of a drive. I've actually been to Lake Charles, believe it or not. The only city where Caesars doesn't have an existing property of those five is Lake Charles. Now, it is true Caesars doesn't have a property downtown where Golden Nugget is, but uh, they did have one at one point, Binion's, and decided to get rid of it. They, they took the World Series of Poker from it and sold it. Uh, if this were to happen, these properties would all join the Total Rewards program. I assume there would be some sort of conversion from the Golden Nugget 24K Club to Total Rewards in some way. But uh, it would, these would become Total Rewards properties if it were to happen. But people have wondered, why, why would Caesars even want to do this if they, they're really only gaining one market out of this, which would be the Houston market where Lake Charles is. And again, this isn't right next to Houston, so... It's not as big of a market as you would think. So there's a, there's a little more to this. Um, first of all, Tillman Fertitta was proposing that he would actually take control of of uh, of Caesars. That you know, he he would take a. Uh, a, a position there, I think, as, as CEO. Uh, so, so while the, while Caesars would technically take over, then he would uh, he would become chairman and and, and CEO of, of the new company. Uh, supposedly, Caesars is considering it because they also get these restaurants. Uh, they get. Morton's the Steakhouse, Bubba Gump Shrimp, Shrimp Rainforest Cafe, and, and, and various other uh, restaurants, and they, they feel that might be able to 
integrate with their existing properties pretty well. And that uh, Landry's already has a lot of experience operating these restaurant chains and is successful in doing so. Uh, Fertitta would uh, apparently just like to be in charge of Caesars rather than the small-time Golden Nugget. Mark Frisora is currently the Caesars president and CEO. He's been there since 2015. He's under contract until February 2019. So, you know, it's not that long from now. We're only talking about four months left on his contract. So this could be timed to where they don't renew Frisora's contract and Fertitta takes over. So Caesars is is considering it, and uh, they're also you know, thinking they may not do it. But this did cause Caesar's stock to rise twelve point two percent when the story was broke by Reuters. So that uh, that made investors happy. Now, Caesars actually had its uh, their stock fall 20% in the past year. Even though they got out of their bankruptcy situation, they just, they just haven't been doing well. And so this is one reason that they may want to shake things up and go with what uh, Fertitta has suggested. This would not be good for the gaming industry. Uh, it's really better for players that there's as many different companies running casinos as possible. This consolidation is not good. It gives players less choice. It it creates less competition. Uh, furthermore, if you have any problems with these properties and get banned, you're banned for more properties. And... The consumer would somewhat benefit if they were expanding to a number of additional markets. So let's, let's say the Golden Nugget was in a bunch of other places where Caesar's properties didn't exist. Well, then you could say, well, okay, at least people in these other areas now can go to a Caesar's property and, and, and get all the total rewards benefits. And there, there's reasons to be happy when Caesar's expands in that way, especially if you live in one of these areas where before there was not a Caesar's property. Or maybe it's a place you'd like to visit that happens to not have any Caesars properties and now will and makes you happy. But but here they're not adding any markets except for Houston. So even that is not going to really benefit the average consumer very much. So this consolidation is not good. It's not clear if this is really going to happen. This is more of a suggestion by Tillman Fertitta. Caesars has not officially responded to it yet. And this uh, this little article here says, uh, Strategic rationale, Golden Nuggets Casino Portfolio is additive and high quality, adds lucrative markets like Houston. I don't really agree with that. They only add one market. <laughs> uh, two, Fertitta would be a strong addition to management. That, uh, that, I think, appeals to them probably. Three, Landry's restaurant expertise and brands are, are additive. That's true. Four, both companies have strong databases, I guess. Uh, five, uh, potential marketing and cross-selling synergies around sports betting. I don't know about that. I mean, yes, they're trying to uh, 
expand sports betting in many states, as we've talked about before here. But I don't know if this is really going to help Caesars very much from that standpoint. So, anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens with this uh, situation. I will keep updating this as we get more information. Now, Trader Ruski, I know you are someone who likes the Golden Nugget. Would you like to see them become a Caesars property? I don't think so. I mean, if my host stays there, then probably, but... I don't know. I think Caesars would probably just come in and screw things up. <laughs> yep. So I agree. <laughs> I, I I just I don't like the consolidation. I I don't I never like when properties in the same market consolidate into the same company. There, there's there's very little benefit players get from this, and a lot of downsides to it for the players. Yeah, because I don't see Caesars as like, you know, some companies buy other companies and kind of let them run independently. I definitely don't see Caesars doing anything like that. No, they they don't. And I I just, I don't see, other than people in Houston who will have a total rewards uh, property to go to, I, I don't see where the typical gambler is going to benefit from this. So that's not something that's very good. I mean, I guess if you like Morton's The Steakhouse and some of these other restaurants in the Landry's portfolio that these will probably start showing up at Caesar's property. So maybe if you like that, but you know, these, these restaurants, they're, they're okay. We have nothing to be that excited about. I used to be a big fan of Morton's actually in the nineties, but I felt they went downhill. Have you been to Morton's much? Um, yeah. I mean, not, not, not for a while, but I think it went to the ones in New York, one out here a couple times. I remember with Morton's, I, I was on a flight I'd say early 90s. So I was pretty young then. Young me, a young man. I wasn't a kid. And I read about Morton Chicago. I don't know how, how much they had expanded yet. I think they started in Chicago. But the, the pictures of the steaks looked so good and they looked so thick and, and it talked about it, you know, how great the place was. And I, I, I bought into it. I thought, oh, it's too bad I'm not going to Chicago. I'd love to go to that place. And I had remembered it. And then... I noticed uh, Morton's came to Beverly Hills, and I said, "Oh, I got to go here." So I went to Morton's Beverly Hills, and it was great. And I, I loved the steaks; I thought it was excellent. I was I was very very happy with my meal. I thought it was wonderful. I went to a Morton's in Vegas, not too long after that, in the late '90s, in the Fashion Show Mall. It's not there anymore, but it was then. Again, great, loved it. But once we got into the 2000s, it seemed like every time I went to Morton's, number one, the food wasn't as good anymore. And number two, there were all kinds of weird service problems. They'd get things wrong. They'd be slow. It's just everything that was done so well before got worse. And I thought, well, maybe it's just a bad day. It's a bad location. So like the first time I saw this was at the Phoenix location. It, it kind of sucked. Then I went to the Beverly Hills location. It wasn't good anymore. Then I went to the Vegas location. It wasn't good anymore. Like everything went downhill. Why? I don't know. But, but, uh, and then I asked others who, who used to be big fans of Morton's in the 90s, and they said the same thing. Like, they, they had also lost the enthusiasm to go there. And what's also funny is there's a steakhouse that's, that's by me, another chain, not a big chain, kind of a small chain. 
And that has also gone downhill. At least the local one has. It was a statehouse that was great and very well regarded. And if you look at the Yelp reviews now, I'm not going to say which one it is, but uh, if you look at the Yelp reviews now, there's tons of reviews basically all saying the same thing. This place was great three, four years ago. I don't know what happened now. It's got all kinds of problems. I don't know how that happens, but seems to sometimes. So I'm not even excited about like Morton's appearing at Caesars. Uh, and, and the truth is there's a lot of you know, f- good to fairly good steakhouses out there. So it's not that hard to find. If you want to have a good steak, there's a lot of different places to go, especially in sizable cities. Anyway, uh, I guess the last topic, before I shut this down, I guess the show ended up longer than I wanted it to be, which which is only for health reasons. That's the only reason I care about this. Otherwise, I'd, I'd do a four-hour show again. It's weird typing up the agenda. I'm like, this seems so short. And I can wait. No, it has to be short. And indeed, I ran longer than I wanted to run. But... The Dodgers, I want, to, I want to talk briefly about the Dodgers. I've been a big Dodgers fan my whole life. I'll admit I tuned out a little bit during the steroid scandals of the late 90s and early 2000s. But then uh, it, it kind of drew me back in more actively about uh, about 10 years ago. So from a period of about like the year 2001 through 2008 or through 01 through 07 was probably the time I was least following the team. I still was following them, but I wasn't quite as interested as I have been at other times in my life, both before and after. But then around 08, I I got uh, very into the Dodgers again. And they went to the NLCS twice against the Phillies and lost both times. Then they were did not make the playoffs for a few years in a row. And then ever, ever since 2013, they have made the playoffs and won the division every single year, including 2018. Last year's team was extremely dominant for most of the year, except for one slump they had near the end of this regular season. They still finished with the best record in baseball. It was assumed that they were going to win the World Series. They did get to the World Series pretty easily, but then went seven games against Houston, only to lose Game 7. I was at Game 6, which they won. The last time the Dodgers had been in the World Series before then was 1988, and I was 16 years old. I was not in the position as a 16-year-old to go to the World Series. So once I became an adult, short time later, I said, okay, well, when the Dodgers next make the World Series, I will go. And I promised myself that. It took all the way until 2017, and they made the World Series. Unfortunately, the prices were insane. And it looked like to sit anywhere decent, at least decent by my standards, which pretty much, uh, what I call decent at Dodger Stadium is anywhere in the first two levels that is not behind the foul screen and is anywhere between like between third base in the outfield and between first base in the outfield. So you can't be way too far out in the outfield, even if you're on a lower level, and you can't be right behind a foul screen, like right behind home plate, 
that gets in the way. It sucks. And you can't be high up on the reserve level of the top deck or in the bleachers. So any seats that fall into that range were $2,000 or more. And I wasn't going to do it. it. It's just too much. And people say, oh, you're not a real fan. Come on, you can afford it. Stop being a cheap Jew. I said, no. It, it's just at some point you got to say, I'm not spending $2,000 to go to a baseball game. I don't care if it's the World Series. I'm not spending $2,000 to go to a game. So I decided I'll, I'll spend up. I'll spend up for like around eight, like eight hundred. This is last year. Well, lo and behold, because the Dodgers were down three to two in the series, people got demoralized and didn't want to pay as much to go to Game Six. So I was watching the prices fall, and I said, "Okay, I think I can actually go to this one." So I kind of targeted four different seats. I went by myself, but I was, I'm going to target four different seats that I see that are good, that are cheap. I'm still seeing the prices fall. As soon as three of the four disappear, I'll buy the fourth one at whatever price it's at. And that's what I did. So I ended up in the first row of the loge level, the second level, front row, behind first base, for $800, which I, I guarantee you was, was just about the best deal anyone could have there. To show you how good of a deal this was, at all the other home games, games one, two, and seven, $800 would get you the very worst seat in the park. I'm not exaggerating. You'd really get the very worst seat in the park for 800 Here I got a, a pretty damn good seat, front row, second level, behind first base. So even though it was 800 I got a great deal. And they won. However, they were playing the Astros and not the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox, who they are playing this year, number one is an excellent team. It's a super, super good team with the best record in baseball. Annihilated the Astros, who are also an excellent team, and Boston beat them in five games. The Dodgers are the underdog here. There are a lot of Boston fans living in the L.A. area, many of whom have money, many of whom are happy to pay big bucks to see Boston in the World Series in L.A., and they drive up the price. I was able to go to see the NLCS game against Milwaukee for a very reasonable price. Because there's not a whole lot of Brewers fans in L.A. So the prices were not dri- driven up. Last year when they played the Cubs in the NLCS, it was a different story. Chicago is only 90 miles from Milwaukee, but a big difference. A lot of Chicago Cubs fans very dedicated fans in Los Angeles, and they drove the prices up. So I didn't even go to the NLCS last year because it was too expensive. So I'm expecting the same for the Dodgers versus the Red Sox, and there's only three games, only three home games this year for the Dodgers because they don't have home field advantage, because they don't have a better record than Boston. So will I be able to go to one of the three games? We will see. Maybe the prices will fall. Maybe because it's the second year in a row they've been there. Maybe for that reason, the prices will be more reasonable. You know, there was a 29-year drought before. So maybe now that they're going back the second year in a row, people aren't going to pay as much money, but I think they will. So taking a look right now, October 26th is the first home game. I'm looking at StubHub right now. Now, keep in mind that the prices may fall significantly as it gets like close to the game, like 
day of the game. But uh, taking a look at that, take a look at the area I would probably sit. Yeah, right now we're looking at, uh, still, it's any cheaper than I thought it would be. But still around 1600 bucks right now. Which is about double of what I'd want to pay. So if they can come down by half, I probably will. And what do they show, like, the real good tickets, like the club? Well, see, the, the, uh, whatever they call it. Well, what's funny, you're talking about the dugout club, which is, yeah, those are, mm-hmm. some of those are over 10,000. But, um, I don't even like those seats. Let me tell you, I mentioned this before, they ruined the good seat to Dodger Stadium because they were forced by baseball to extend the foul screen from first base to third base. And I tried sitting behind that foul screen, and it was awful. I tried that in May, it was terrible. You couldn't keep track of where the ball was. The ball would leave the bat, you lose it because of the foul screen in your face. And it was like it was like having a mesh placed over your eyes while you're watching the game. It was terrible. So I said, "Okay, I'm, n- I'm never sitting behind that screen again." So the seats I used to sit in all the time, I can't do- I can't sit in anymore. So then I said, "Well, where do I sit? Because you know I can sit on the second level, but you still have that foul, foul screen in the way, not as badly, but it's still there." So I determined the best place to sit is actually directly to the side of the foul screen. On the field level. That, those are the best seats now, in my opinion. They're not the most expensive seats. But if someone said, okay, you can sit anywhere in the park. Where do you want to sit? Just just pick a seat. We'll give it to you. I would not take those ones that are $10,000 because they're behind the foul screen. I would actually take the ones in the very front row in the, in the dugout seats. What they call the dugout seats means the ones that are closest to the field. Uh, I, I would take the front row of that just on the side of the foul screen. That's what I would take. How much are those right now? Uh, those are in, around... Let's see. Those are like $5,000. Or 6000 So obviously I'm not paying that. But uh, we'll see. If, if, if the seats I want to sit in get down to about 800 I'll do it if they don't I won't and I'll watch on TV I'm a very big fan but there's only so far I'll go so my friends think I'm crazy to even pay 800 they say it's a baseball game why, why are you paying $800 I go oh it's the World Series I'll pay $800 but I, I paid $168 to see the, the, the LCS this past week and I paid like $113 to see the uh, the Division Series. That, that's typically what I target to pay, somewhere 100 something dollars, maybe 200 World Series will go up to 8 but that's the most. And it's got to be a, a decent seat. It can't be a crap seat. And I feel at Dodger Stadium, once you're up in the reserve blue level, I think it's just too high. I think you're just too high up. It's, you're like looking at ants. I'd rather watch on TV at that point. I want to have a good view of the game. It's a different experience watching baseball at a stadium versus on TV. On TV, you get a better view. But to actually be there in the atmosphere as it's all happening, it's a lot more exciting. It's a lot more fun. 
It's a big difference than just having the TV on. Even if you watch it like in a bar with a bunch of people who are also fans or whatever, like, yeah, it's a little bit better than watching it at home, but it's still not the same thing. To actually be there at the stadium, it's just a very, very different feeling. Do I think the Dodgers have a chance? Yes. You might recall 30 years ago, they were said to have no chance against the Oakland A's. They had also had a tough seven-game series in the league championship series. They barely beat the Mets. And they went on to play the A's, which had Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, and it was just thought that they were going to destroy the Dodgers, who were the underdog. And then Kirk Gibson hit that miracle home run when he could barely walk in the ninth inning to win the game in game one. And it was all downhill from there for Oakland. Dodgers easily won the series four games to one. So in these playoff series, you just never know what happens. Now, so far, in every series, the favorite team has won so far this year in baseball. Every single series. If the Red Sox win, then we will have every single series in the 2018 playoffs going to the favorite team. So definitely the Red Sox are going to be a favorite. I'm not sure how much. Let's see if I can find that right now. See if they have odds on that yet. Look at Bovada. Can we find this in Bovada? Let's see here. Baseball. Uh, Red see, Sox minus one thirty-five. Yeah, I see. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bovada has crappy odds because you know they have too much of a spread. Uh, minus one forty-five plus one fifteen. But yeah, probably a more normal books minus one thirty-five. So yeah, they're they're a favorite, but not as you know. It's interesting. There really is kind of a bias. Like the Dodgers, I always seem to see like they always seem to be overvalued as far as uh, the betting lines. I think because a lot of people bet them. Uh, I think the the Red Sox are are honestly a bigger favorite than minus one thirty five. If I want to be honest about it, I'm, I'm a big Dodgers fan, but I've got to say the Red Sox are scary, and they've got home field advantage. And they've got the DH for four of those uh, games where they're used to having and the Dodgers aren't. And their pitchers are used to pitching to DH spots and the Dodgers aren't, and that's a factor too. So I th- I think uh, Dodgers are, are definitely a real underdog here. But it's still baseball. It's not like basketball where, where the better team almost always wins. Or usually wins. Here in baseball, anything can happen. And the Dodgers have enough pitching. And they have enough talent in their offense to where if they just play better, they'll win. There's not a, enough of a skill gap between the two teams where the Dodgers are just going to be crushed. They, they, they could get crushed, but they could also win. This could actually be a more competitive series than people are thinking it will be. It's been said for a long time, oh, whoever comes out of the American League is going to crush the National League this year. Because there was no dominant team in the National League this year. But I'll tell you, when the Dodgers have had to win, they've done it. Let's look at this. The Dodgers got off to a horrible start, 16-26 and this year, in last place. They did well for the rest of the season, but they were contending with the Rockies, who were doing surprisingly well. The Rockies got ahead of them by two and a half games near the end of the season. The Dodgers not only caught them to pull into a tie, 
in the final days of the series, but they easily won the tiebreaker game. Then they played the National League Division Series against the Braves and easily won that series. Then they went to go play the Brewers. They were down two games to one, and they ended up winning that series in Game 7 with a decisive victory today. So it just seems like when their backs are against the wall, they just seem to manage to win. What did you think of them putting Kershaw in in the ninth? No, okay, fine. I mean, it's, the, the problem is they'd already used Kenley Jansen. The last thing they want to do is put in some scrub reliever who's going to cough up a few runs. So, you know, it's one inning. Let Kershaw go there and finish it, and uh, and he did. I don't know why they put Kenley Jansen in the seventh. It's a little bit weird, but uh, there there had been talk that Kershaw may pitch an inning today, and indeed he did. Dodgers' bullpen was great this series. It was really, really great this series. They, all this talk about the Brewers' bullpen and the Dodgers' bullpen was better. Dodgers' bullpen really shut him down. Dodgers' bullpen just did an excellent job for the most part in this in this series. And th- this bullpen has really come together. And, and, and pitchers like Pedro Baez, who had been kind of fail for most of the year, have, have really come on towards the end of the season and suddenly got better. So you have a lot of middle relievers on this team that have, have just been hot at the moment. And even uh, Julio Urias, which I said, why'd they add him to the roster? He barely pitched this year. And he's young, and he'll be rattled. No, he he's done well. So it seems like every reliever they put in uh, does a great job. And that that's huge in the, in the playoffs. So... We'll see. The Dodgers, uh, they've had a hard time hitting with runners in scoring position. They had a hard time this past series. They had a hard time even against the Braves. They've, their batting average is like 210 so far in the, in the playoffs. They're, they're choking every single time they have runners in scoring position, but some, somehow they've, they've won both series. But that's what the team's done the whole year is hit home runs. They, that's been the way they've been winning. That's how they won tonight. That's how they've uh, won most of the year. They have the most home runs in the National League. <clears throat> so we will see. We'll see if I go to a game. Either way, I'll be watching every single one of these World Series games and rooting for the Dodgers. Anyway, Trader Risky, thank you for joining us tonight. And did the show a bit longer than I had planned to. Thanks for having me, Druff. Glad you have the energy to do it and hopefully on your way to recovery. Thank you. I hope hope I can get some answers. Hope I can finally solve at least most of this. I also hope I don't wake up with after effects of this show today. You know, I, I try to make these shows short. I just can't do it. This went over two hours. I didn't mean for it to be. I'm going to have to try to plan for there to be one hour, so this way when they end up an hour and a half it's really what I wanted in the first place. This is too long. I'm kind of afraid with the consequences of this. I did not mean to go over two hours, but I think that's what I've been doing. So, hope you enjoyed it. Not sure when the next one will be. Hopefully we'll have a poker room by the time I do the next show. 
If for whatever reason... Maybe when the Dodgers win the World Series. Yeah. Maybe Belly Buster will get it up. If he, if he for whatever reason, isn't going to do it anymore, I still appreciate everything he's done. And uh, we'll find uh, another way to get the poker room up. There, it'll, it'll exist in some form, in some way. Just got to get that fixed there. So as you see, the show will go on as much as I can make it go on. I don't want to give up on it. And I thank those of you who have stuck by and who are still listening, even though we're not as regular as we used to be. Just know that I want to be regular. By the way, if you have any experience with dealing with LPR, please text me, 775-372-8355. I just realized I didn't read any text tonight. I did not read a single text. Okay, you know what? You know what? I'm, I'm stopping the music. That's it. I, I'm stopping the music here. I want to read some texts. I forgot to read texts tonight. I didn't take any calls, even though we got calls. I didn't read any texts. Mumble said, Druff, try to stay on topic to keep the show length good for your health. I say it, he's right. Dupe Samaritan actually said, For the record, I'm sad that Tony is dead. Hmm. Interesting. The 410, how are you feeling? Do you want a ticket to Game 7 of the World Series? I mean, sure. <laughs> if there is a Game 7, you want to give me one. I don't know how you'd get that, but all right. Um, it's from the 720. Todd, just saw your tweet about the PFA radio show tonight. Great to see, your, to see your feeling up to a show. I'm on Mountain Time. We'll catch the show in the archives. Early morning golf time tomorrow for me. Take care. Thank you. For the 847, Dodgers are going down. Sorry. For 716, Druff, honestly, man, if they have dealer error and that's the cause, their cause or crutch, so to speak, they should have some fun to pay players when they make mistakes. Oh, that was something else. Never mind. I was wondering, saying what that about. That was a response to something we were texting earlier. Alrighty. So, uh, I guess that's it. That's the text we got tonight. Sorry for not reading them as they came in. And uh, I, I guess I can finish the music. All righty. So whenever I feel I can do one, I'll do it. And maybe I'll have more information eventually about what's really going on with me. Maybe one day I can cure all or most of this. And it'll all be behind me. That'd be lovely. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. Maybe the Dodgers will win the World Series. Maybe they won't. But we will have another show. Good night. And shalom. Shalom.